Blog Talk Radio. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. What's the champ wearing? Looks like an examination gown. And from the back... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the get-up? I've got to take care of my family, so I'm getting those important medical screens. <laughs> the fight is over! Champ, you look pretty healthy out there tonight. But I'm still getting those tests. For a list of tests you need, go to AHRQ.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to AHRQ.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keyes. I'm your host, Joy Keyes. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter.com slash Joy Keyes. And you can become a fan on Facebook. Just look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And now I'm on Instagram. Yep, lots of cool pictures. Tag me in the photo and you might win a prize. Uh, recently I gave away Amazon gift cards. I gave away dinner gift cards, uh, tickets to shows, musical shows, uh, downloads on iTunes. It really pays off for you to follow me on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, or tag me in a photo on Instagram. You definitely have an opportunity to win. I want to say thank you to all the listeners uh, over the past five years now who have listened to me. Thank you so, so much. I guess you have enjoyed listening to my crazy voice and the wonderful guests that I've had on. Uh, Close to a million downloads right now of the show. I'm sure we'll probably hit that in the next month or so. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, and thank you. Well, today I'm going to have a wonderful guest on who's been on here before, uh, filmmaker Byron Hurt. Uh, he's been on here before. He spoke about his film uh, Soul Food Junkies and how in the African-American community we love, love soul food. Uh, we are junkies, if you will, for this soul food, but at the same time this soul food is really hurting us uh, and uh, we needed to make a change. We can still eat soul food but in a healthier way. Well, now he's tackling, I think, I don't know if this is a harder issue, hazing. Are you familiar with that idea of hazing? Fraternities and sororities across the country are hurting other individuals in order for them to become part of the club. Are you part of fraternity? Are you part of sorority? You guys need to call in right now, 646-929-0368, to chat with uh, Byron about this issue. Again, call 646-929-0368 to chat about this issue with Byron. Um, It's a very touchy subject. There are people that think it's fine, that this is part of our history as being fraternity or sorority members, and why are you bothering with this is how we bond, this is how we get out the weaklings. But at the same time, you're assaulting a person. I mean, literally physically punching and beating somebody up. Is a felon, um, why would a fraternity or sorority support this kind of activity? Um, I hope that Byron's going to be calling in in a minute. The call-in number again is 646-929-0368 to uh, chat about this issue. Again, I really appreciate your call. You'll be anonymous. Nobody's going to know who you are if you want to come and, and call in and speak about the matter because, again, um, you know, for example, recently uh, in the news, there was a young man uh, at SAMU who died of being because he was hazed. And his family was offered uh, like $300,000 to um, 
kind of basically keep quiet, if you will. I don't want to, you know, put it like that, but that's kind of the deal. And they didn't want to take it. You know, they thought that was a joke. Um, they sued the bus company and they sued uh, the school. And then people were saying that they shouldn't make taxpayers pay for this suit. Um, Colin, give me your idea about this issue of hazing and then the fact that it caused death of a human being and then if it does cause a death, who should be responsible? Uh, because supposedly this hazing took place on a bus and the family is suing the bus company, the bus driver. But interesting, they are not, as far as I know, suing the actual individuals who committed the hazing. That seems kind of odd to me. Uh, but I hope Byron's going to be calling in any minute. Um, 646-929-0368 to um, speak to uh, Byron. Um, but again, I would like to hear your ideas about it. I remember I was in college and I was thinking about joining a fraternity, a sorority, excuse me, and I know I had heard about people uh, getting forced to drink um, and, and then almost like getting sick from drinking. I don't even drink. So I was like, mm, I don't want to do that. And uh, I was an artist. I was a school for theater, so <laughs> I was not a follower uh, in the least. Um, but uh, I think that it's so important that we definitely bring this issue to light because, I mean, why do you want to beat somebody down in order to build them up? Fraternities and sororities do a lot of wonderful things. I mean, they support their members, helping them get jobs. They do things in the community. It's not like that's all they do um, is beating people up. So I don't, I don't want that to be, you know, thought of. But I'm hoping that Byron will call in. Uh, Byron, if you're listening, the call-in number is 646-929-0368, and, um, you know, we can talk about this issue. It looks like we may have to reschedule... Um, this interview, if I don't hear from Byron, he might be having some, some technical difficulties. Um, sometimes that happens. Technology is not perfect. But I really do uh, want to talk to him about this. He is a member of a fraternity, and um, he's very honest about what's going on in his life. He shared about the soul food, and now he's sharing about the issue of hazing. I think it's very courageous for someone to share their personal stories. A lot of times people make films. They don't really have any personal investment. Um, but Byron and his Soul Food Junkies movie has shared his father's um, struggle and with health issues. And now he's sharing, I guess, his struggle dealing with the hazing. Um, it's, can actually, you know, it's negative to not only beating up the, the people, they make people do crazy tricks that can risk their lives. And this is not just black fraternities and sororities. White fraternities and sororities also do uh, different types of tests, if you will, but dangerous tests that can kill somebody, especially the drinking. Uh, where you can get alcohol poisoning. Um, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people might have heard of, but the actual beating up. And then that they take place in, like, people's apartments. I mean, you're going to someone's apartment to specifically beat somebody up or against the wall 
or throw things at them. Um, I think that's wrong. I mean, I think to make somebody do extended a choice, but not that's going to kill them. I mean, we, we have a caller here. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, this is Byron Hurd. Oh, hi, Byron. Thanks for calling in today. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm sorry. I thought that uh, I thought that uh, someone was going to be calling me. Oh, okay. No problems. Well, you're here now, and I was telling people about you and your wonderful work, uh, Soul Food Junkies. You were on here before uh, talking about that film, and now you're venturing into, which I mentioned might be a more, I don't know, serious, sticky, you might get death threats. I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen <laughs> with the hazing film. Um, let's talk about this. You have been so courageous in sharing personal stories in your documentaries. Mm-hmm. Why... Where did this courage come from to, to share these personal stories? Wow, I really do not know where the courage comes from because, honestly, I really struggle uh, with telling my own story and, um, you know, putting myself out there uh, in ways that, um, you know, are public and can be uh, scrutinized and dissected and um, what have you. Um, but I, I do believe that, you know, people – connect to stories, right? People connect to personal stories. People connect to people who they can identify with. And, you know, as a filmmaker and as a communicator, I'm always looking for the most effective ways to reach people, to effectively communicate uh, my ideas or my stories, you know, in a way that's not going to be uh, judgmental or preachy or, um, you know, too intellectual or what have you. So um, I have found that, you know, personal stories, um, personal storytelling is one of the best ways to do that. And to be quite honest with you, with each of my films, with Hip Hop Beyond Beats and Rhymes and uh, Soul Food Junkies, uh, it was never really my, my full intention to be so much a part of my films. You know, my, my executive producer, Stanley Nelson, in both of my films, uh, you know, strongly suggested that I add my personal story um, or add more of my personal story um, because mm-hmm. they felt like that was something that people would be interested in. So even with Soul Food Junkies, you know, when I first showed various rough cuts of that film in closed-door mm-hmm. um, screening sessions, you know, the feedback that I got was, we want to hear more about you and your journey, and we want to hear more about you and your family. We want to hear about your mother and your sister and how they changed their eating habits and you know, how did they, how were they impacted by your father's eating habits? So, um, you know, it's really just, it's a part of the process that takes place. And I think that's probably going to happen with this film as well, the hazing film. Yeah, because you're a member of a, a fraternity. Do you feel that you're betraying some secret oath by making this film? No, I don't feel like I'm betraying. I feel like... Me making a film about hazing is an act of leadership. I believe that this is the kind of film that will pave new, will pave uh, a dirt road, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it will it will break new ground, and I think that it will save lives. So I think any film or any work or any any um, form of activism that will help people that will help people transform is not an act of betrayal. I think it's an act of leadership. I think it's an act of um, courage. 
And so, no, I don't believe that. And I, I've had conversations with some of my fraternity brothers in my chapter. I'm a member of Omega Psi Phi, by the way. I don't, I don't think you, you said the name of the fraternity, but I'm a member of Omega Psi no. Phi fraternity. And I've, I've had conversations with several of my fraternity brothers, particularly my chapter, which is Gamma Chapter in Boston, and they've all been very supportive, and they've told me to, you know, to share my truth and to speak my truth. I think that there has been a concern about whether or not I'm going to throw my fraternity down, uh, excuse me, throw my fraternity under the bus, uh, which I have no intentions of doing. I mean, this, this, this issue of hazing is far larger than my fraternity, Omega Psi Phi. It's, it's far lo- larger than black, Greek, letter organizations. Just uh, yesterday... A number of people sent me an article about a young man who um, who died um, in California as a result, uh, allegedly, allegedly from hazing. A young man who was, um, you know, uh, forced to climb a mountain barefoot. Uh, he eventually yes, died from dehydration. I just read about that. Yep, yeah, yeah. I think it was Cal State Northridge, I believe. And so, um, you know, there, there's hazing that exists on college campuses in the military in high schools, on athletic teams, social organizations, social clubs. I've even had Ph.D. candidates come up to me and tell me that what they're experiencing is a form of hazing. So, you know, the issue of hazing goes well beyond my fraternity and any other, you know, black Greek-letter organization. And I think that there's some, there is some trepidation and, and concern about what I'm going to reveal in this film but to be honest with you, those same concerns were there for Hip Hop Beyond Beats and Rhymes and for Soul Food Junkies. And I think that my approach, and I have been told that my approach in terms of uh, my filmmaking is fair and it's, um, it's, it's balanced and it's, it's, it's contextualized. And, you know, it, it helps people to understand the overall, the larger issue much better and much clearer. So that's a long answer to your question. But I don't believe that my film is going to be an act of betrayal to my fraternity. Let me ask you this. Fraternities, sororities, the Masons, uh, becoming a Ph.D., somebody with that at the end of your name, those are elite institutions. Correct. What do you suggest, what test should be given to someone who wants to join those elites? Becoming a medical doctor, you stay up all night, you know, 12, 14 hours, 16 hours. You know, I did it. Why don't you do it? What do you, how do you weed out the quote-unquote weakling? So if we're not going to yeah. hate, then what are we going to do to prove that this person is uh, worthy of being part yeah. of this institution? Yeah. What, what is your suggestion well, on that? I, I, think, I think that we have to... Um, re-envision what uh, rites of passage looks like. I'm not against rites of passage. I'm not against an individual or individuals earning their keep or earning their way into a club or an organization. But I do think that it becomes really problematic when individuals who long to be a part of a group or an organization uh, are placed in serious harm's way um, in order to become a member of that organization. I don't think anyone um, seeks to join an organization, whether it's a fraternity or the Masons or, you know, getting their Ph.D. or whatever. I don't, I don't know if there's any, ever been a situation where someone's died trying to get their Ph.D., maybe, maybe perhaps committed suicide. Um, but I, I, I don't think anyone seeks those organizations thinking that they're going to die 
as a result of trying to get in those organizations. And I don't think that the individuals who are already members of, of those organizations think that the process that they're going to put people through is going to be fatal. Right? I, think, I right. think most organizations think that, you know, this is their process, this is what they do, this is tradition, this is what has to be done in order to preserve the value of that organization. And so, you know, they, they, they put people through these uh, steps in order for them to be good, in order for them to, to be seen as valuable and ha- who, to be seen as, as someone who has earned their place in the organization. But I don't right, think anyone right, joins elite, the organization yeah. or seeks to join an organization knowing and thinking that they're going to die in order to get into it. And so I just think that we have to rethink and be very imaginative and, and be creative when it comes to the process and rites of passage programs so that people still feel like they are um, they're earning their place um, and and uh, and and you know and, and still have their, their sense of camaraderie and belonging and sense of identity and worth in that organization. Now, we, one thing you mentioned, which I think was important, is that you're not just talking about black fraternities and white um, sororities. Uh, I mean, sorry, black fraternities and sororities. You're also talking about across the gamut. And so, a lot of times, people may deny. Well, we are not as bad as them. Yeah. <laughs> you know and try to, you know, put them at them, whoever them is, at arm's length, um, that this is across many um, institutions. So I think that's an important issue. I know, I remember I used to live in a neighborhood in Philadelphia where there are tons and tons of fraternities and sororities, and on the weekends we'd have to have the huge jugs. What are those? I don't, see, I don't even drink. <laughs> the huge <laughs> jug things on the middle of the street, you know, mm-hmm. the toilet paper all over the place. People mm. on the grass. I mean, it would just be crazy, you know, mm. um, destruction not only of themselves but of the, you know, physical properties around. And, and these were white fraternities and sororities that I'm speaking about. Yeah. These were not yeah. black, you know. So, um, I mean, and they own large properties. So it, it's, it's not just one group of individuals doing this. Uh, there are a variety of individuals. And I think uh, what you said in the beginning about leadership, wow, that, that, that right there shows the kind of individual that you are. You said leadership. Leaders are out ahead showing the way to go. Now, in the past, the group was doing it this way, but now we need to go in this direction. And so you taking this gamut, uh, you're, you're using film. And not only in other things that you've done, you've done, you know, talked about um, in terms of, oh, you're a feminist, if I will, can I call you that? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, well, you know, you... Pro-feminist, feminist, male. You know, I speak out against all forms of violence against girls and women and sexism and also redefining, you know, manhood. And I, I think, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interject, but I think that, you know, part of, of what's, what, what's going to be a large part of this film is, uh, you know, really trying to steer the conversation um, to examine the ways in which we can redefine manhood and redefine masculinity, especially when it comes to fraternities and other all-male peer groups that, that, that really participate in the, the more serious acts of hazing. But to your point about leadership, you know, I, I just think that um, – I think it's just part of of, of my DNA as as a, as an individual. 
Um, you know, I, I played football from the time that I was seven years old, and I played quarterback. And, you know, the quarterback is by definition a leader. I've always been very highly inspired and influenced by the men and the women of the civil rights movement. You know, I was just reading a, reading a lot about Rosa Parks yesterday and, you know, her act of defiance and leadership and, you know, how, how her leadership and not, not only her uh, leadership but the leadership of the women who, um, who dared to uh, refuse to move their seats prior to Rosa Parks back in the 1950s. Mm-hmm you know, how these individuals were courageous, you know, and they sacrificed something in order for us to live um, in a uh, more just world, you know. And so it's like when you know that history and you know where you come from and you know the kind of people who, um, who really, you know, put their necks out there in order to advance the culture that we live in, how can I mean to me? It's like how can you not lead? You know, like how can you how can you not stand on their shoulders? You know, and so when I when I sat on an airplane and I and I read this huge New York Times article about a young man named George Desdunes who um, was killed um, by uh, over intoxication, you know, at Cornell University in a white fraternity, not a black fraternity, but a white fraternity. And I read the story about how hard his mother, who was an immigrant from Africa, who worked two and three jobs to put him through private school to get him to Cornell University and to have our only son taken away um, because of this, you know, sort of, um, of you know, really uh, right senseless act you know, Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, there's something wrong with that. And, and to be honest with you, you know, it resonated with me because that could have been me. It could have been me. I could have been on the on the wrong side of the law and yeah. potentially, you know, hurt, seriously hurt or killed someone going through that process. And so when you see all of these stories and you see that that, that there's it's, it's not just coincidence, you know, that these hazing mm-hmm. incidents keep coming up, you know, you have to say, well, what's going on with the system? What's going on with the process? You know, why is this happening? And what can be done in order to change it? And, and, and to really sort of get underneath it so that people can think, think about it in a much more critical way. Well, what I gather from what you just said, one of the things that I latched on is the redefinition of, you know, what is it to be a man, but also mm-hmm. focusing on what does it mean to be a woman because, yeah. um, you know, a woman is soft, is hard. I mean, we, we as women in society, I mean, I'm a woman, I'm speaking not for every woman, you, if yeah. you are aggressive, well, but let's say assertive, then you're considered mm-hmm. a bitch. In the workforce, yeah. if you're in a predominantly white uh, institution, you're the angry black woman. You cannot, mm-hmm. you, are, you don't have uh, a cushion to express the full gamut of your emotions without mm-hmm. someone calling you or pigeonholing you into position. Mm-hmm. And for black men, uh, I've seen mm-hmm. in many places that I've worked that others are fearful of black men. The black man mm-hmm. has not done anything, at least in my perception. He has not done anything wrong. But if they are afraid to approach him, so instead yeah. maybe they try to control him and then try to fire him or reprimand him to try to tame him, if you will. And I hate to make yeah. it sound like this animalistic thing, but it is, because there is no logic in why right. are you treating this individual this way when they are only yeah. showing the same types of emotions that you are freely able to show. So right. the definition of manhood, but beyond that definition of manhood for black men, 
definition for womanhood, for black women in a predominantly white society is so important to be redefined so that people can see we are human. Yeah, you know, there's this, there, there, there are two sort of uh, social media video clips that have been um, going around. They're very viral right now. One is of a black man on the subway who was being arrested by police officers, transit officers, for sleeping on the train. And, you know, they're, they're, they're treating him with very, very little uh, regard. You know, they're treating him as if he is um, less than human. And then there's another video of an African-American woman who's, who's physically being beaten up by a police officer in California. Um, and then, of course, there's the more famous, um, you know, video clip of the professor at Arizona, Arizona State University, female, who, you know, asserted her, her rights um, when she was being interrogated and eventually arrested by a campus police officer. He, was, he, she, he threw her to the ground. Excuse me. He threw her to the ground. Um, and... Um, you know, those are just examples of what you're just talking about. I mean, it's, it's how black masculinity and black femininity, um, you know, sort of gets played out um, vis-a-vis um, authority and authority figures and what happens when you, when you challenge or usurp authority figures. Um, you know, you, you know we're, we're both catching it. You know, we're both um, sort of, you know, the victims of all of these stereotypes that have been created about us, you know, that, that really impact the lives of men and women on a daily basis. You know what I mean? And so I, I totally yeah. understand what you're talking about. I mean, I talk a lot about redefining masculinity, but clearly there has to be a lot of work that's done to, to change some of the images and representations of um, girls and women across the board in our world, not just in our, our country, but in our world, because, you know, there are so many women who are, um, as you said, placed into very small, limiting um, narrow definitions of, of femininity, and it's damaging. You know, it's damaging. And I'm, yeah. I'm concerned because I have a four-year-old daughter, and, you know, I want her to grow up and live in a world where she can be exactly who she wants to be. She can be confident, smart, intelligent, fun-loving, free, and all these different things without being um, vulnerable to being attacked, you know, or sexually right. assaulted right. or abused or you know, being seen as being too aggressive or too assertive because she is smart and because she is outspoken and she does believe in herself. So, you know, the only way that you can break that down is by doing the work and, you know, really kind of chipping away at it piece by piece, little by little. Um, I want to bring a caller in real quick, and then we're going to kind of have to close up the conversation. But uh, good morning. You're calling from 347 area code? Did you have a question? Oh, no, I guess they, they got scared. <laughs> That's okay. Well, Byron, we could talk forever and ever. I'm wonderful conversation with you this morning about your movie, Hazing. Now, you're still working. Uh, it's still in development. I want to mention it that is. you are on, on Twitter, uh, at Byron Hurt. Your website is behurt.com. Uh, there on your website you can learn more about the film. Now, uh, are people donating? Do you have, like, a kickstart? What, what are you doing to raise well, well, funds? Well, I had, I had yeah, well, thank you very much for sharing that information. Um, I, I had an Indiegogo campaign. Um, I have received funding from the MacArthur Foundation. Also, Firelight Media um, gave me some startup money to get the film off the ground, and I've created a, 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 a teaser, which can be seen on my website, and also um, a longer uh, work sample that I will be using to raise additional money. I, will be, I have also just received... Um, 
research and development funds from the independent television service, which is based in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm looking oh, forward wonderful. to just, yeah. So I'm looking forward to just taking this film to the next level. I this is this this film. I, I plan for this film to be my best film. You know, I'm really, really, I have like a real mm. fire in my belly, you know, to really take it up <laughs> another level as a filmmaker and as a storyteller. Um, you know, I want to be, you know, among the best documentary filmmakers of my generation. And so, um, you know, I'm really committed to telling a really complex, um, thorough, uh, fair, balanced, um, entertaining yes. film that people are going to want to watch and it's going to have a real impact in the culture. Well, I wish you so much luck with this film. And, again, uh, please stay in touch. Let me know when it comes out. I'll definitely promote it on my account, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, but definitely on Instagram. Uh, so, again, thank you so much for calling in today, and I wish you much success with this film. Oh, th- thank you very much. And I, pr- I appreciate you valuing my work and my, my film, both, all of my films. And thank you for doing what you do. And uh, <laughs> you I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a wonderful have a weekend, day. okay? Okay, 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 thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Just got off the phone with filmmaker Byron Hurt. You can check him out, behurt.com. Check him out on Twitter, at Byron Hurt. He's making a film about hazing. And he's a very courageous guy. He shares a lot of his uh, personal stories and his work. So please support the African-American male doing some positive things. I'm going to be speaking with a Nigerian male in a minute about the film he directed, Half of a Yellow Sun. So please stay tuned for that. That uh, You can call in for that, 646-929-0368. Have a wonderful Saturday. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council.